Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of our Blimey Cast. This is going to be the final part of our reading activity. We were reading a novella written by Josh Radwell. It's called The Little Door, and this is a horror story. And this is the final part. So, um, this one, it's. How can I say this? How can I put this? This one has got some gruesome parts. Some parts that might be a bit repulsing to sensitive people. Because even a bit disgusting for sensitive people. But you, if you are enjoying this journey to improve your vocabulary using your reading skills, so you can definitely listen to this one and enjoy and benefit from it, right? So without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to Blimey Cast. For more information, check my Instagram profile, Blimey English. Hey, hello again, and welcome back to Blimey English. Today, we are going to continue with our reading activity. Yes, because in order to speak greatly, you also need to read. And why reading is important, Simon? I tell you why. Because when you read, you get two things. One, you enlarge and strengthen your vocabulary. Two, you get to know how people write, how people use language. That's it. So I will continue with the reading activity from that book. Remember the book we're reading through? The Little Door by Josh Radwell. And let me say something to you. Every time I think something is relevant for you to achieve the goals you want or the goals I help you achieve, I will tell you like this, like this activity. And this is important to you because you will have a strengthened vocabulary when you go to your test if you do this activity or activities like this many, many times. So let's crack on and start this one. You will come with us now, said Father Old. I was kicked to my knees and a boot was pressed to my back to make me bend and crouch lower, so that I was facing the small door. Go in, said Father Old. How is this? Go in, yelled Father Old. His voice was throaty. I... How am I supposed to fit? We are hungry, boy. There isn't any more time to waste for your needless questions. Just go through and it will all make sense. The mass behind him began to say, Go, go in, see him, wake him, taste him, leave him, and there was nowhere else to go but through. I swallowed the bile in my throat, felt it burn on the way down, and I crawled towards the little door, feeling at once a terrible coldness and an emptiness in my gut. I entered and was swallowed by the darkness. I was blind for a moment, and then there was light. It was impossible, but I cannot pretend that all of this was a dream. The space immediately grew, and I stood, and when I looked behind me, more people began to crawl through the little door to join me, all of them grinning their decaying smile their skin seeming to regain just a bit of color in the noxious yellow light that filled the space as they stood behind me. We were standing in a cave, a tunnel like a mine shaft. Jagged stones hung above us, sharp. Pebbles and sand 
lay below our feet, and shards of stone like splinters punctured my palms. I dusted my hands on my pants and moved forward as the congregation pushed in. Not all of them, not at first, but some. The priest, a few other men, the police officers, a nurse, the children, and Wendy. Wendy, I tried. What? You said Wendy has been loyal and faithful to us for almost a century, said Father Old. Wendy brought you here, sold you this place. Wendy smiled as Father Old placed a hand on her shoulder and squeezed. Wendy made sure that he felt the presence of a new soul, that he was nourished. Wendy will be rewarded greatly. I... On what? yelled Father Old. The old God awaits. We walked through the tunnels, guided not by flashlight or flame, but by the strange yellow glow at the end that somehow made itself visible even when we turned corners and went deeper. It was as if somehow the light were in front of us, but it appeared a thousand footsteps away. I didn't question it then, and I do not understand it now, and I make to attempt to even begin to understand it. There are things at work in cosmos that no scientist, priest, or enlightened person can put into words or even begin to fathom. But for this town, in this town, old legends and myths become a very real and are very real if you are still reading this, dear reader. Then, I think it best you know that you are not alone, even now, and that you are always a foot nearer something that might well be your end if you just imagine it into being and trust that somehow. That little light is still there as you weave and wonder and delve deeper into the unknown. It might have been five minutes or it might have been five hours that we walked through the tunnels, ushered along by Father Ode, followed and preceded by the echoes of our footsteps and our breathing. There was nothing said save for the occasional move which was directed at me whenever I apparently began to falter or slow. I was nudged and I was prodded and I walked, taking in the grey scenes around me, the stone, the smell of moss and mildew and deep earth, wondering how and why and how. Then we came to the end of the tunnels and the temperature dropped as we entered a massive underground chamber. A violent chill ran through my body, down my spine. The space was enormous, almost like an aircraft hangar, with tiny sparking crystals like the stars of the night sky embedded in the grey stone walls. It was deeply mysterious, this place, and it was darkness eternal here, like an invisible force crushing down on us, squeezing out light and life, except... There he is, cried Father Old. The congregation fell to their knees behind me and began to kiss the ground, bowing and bowing. I noticed, too. At the furthest part of the chamber, from where I stood, inky black water is gently in a large pond, 
refracting the yellow light that had guided us through the tunnels. Pipes, dozens of them, erupted through the stone at all angles, surrounded by the jagged teeth of the walls, and from the and from these pipes I saw the water dripping gently over something large and round, and slick, and then falling to the pond. The object that was giving off the yellow light, faint now that we were there, the object that appeared slick and smooth, was resting on a mossy nest that floated above the water. It was a large egg. And then I saw the altar. I tried to turn, I tried to flee, but I was paralyzed. And then I was grabbed from behind. Two people snatched my arms and pulled, and then two other people grabbed my kicking legs and shook me so that my bones cracked and I felt such an immense pain that I had to stop moving, stop crying out, stop begging. Please, 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 let me go, let me go, I won't tell, please. As they threw me onto the altar, a giant stone slab, resting atop two large stone boulders, all covered in moss, they tied me down, with rope, the same rope that bound me to the chair. They tied it around my wrists, my ankles, and they tied the free ends onto large rusted hooks hammered into the stone boulders. Please, I will do anything you want, I pleaded. Do you want money? My whole family's dead. I have money. I can make a donation. Then I will leave. Nobody will know. I will go away and... Stop with your whining, yelled Father Old. The man flung his hands into the air. Look at them! he said, waving to the congregation that now knelt in a semicircle around the altar in several rows. They looked up at me, they smiled, they are hungry, they are famished. We have waited a long time for someone new to come. He sent us, he sent us to you. He did, praise unto him. You are our saviour, you will be rewarded in ways you cannot imagine, Henry just for allowing us to use your body and your soul. I started to cry. I couldn't move. Oh, said Father Old, look at you, like some animal in a zoo, staring blankly from behind the glass. You are a hollow thing. He approached me, leant over so that his nose was mere inches from my own, and I felt his warm, wet breaths on my face. The man whispered, I'd pity a man without a family, if it weren't for the hunger. Father Old stood upright again. We must do it now, he yelled, his voice bouncing off the walls. The water began to ripple. I looked over at the egg, large as a small child, cradled in the fetal position. It began to glow fiercer. It began to shake gently on its mossy nest. Oh, great old God, said Father Old, beneath the earth you have slept for decades, anxiously, awaiting your rebirth as we, your ever-loving and ever-hungry children, have too waited. The congregation began to chant, ever-loving 
ever hungry, we call on you now. We beseech you, rise again. And Father Old approached me. He was carrying two things, a large glass jar with a golden lid and an even larger ceremonial knife that curved like a crescent moon and glistened into the yellow light. O oh, great old God, we bring you now an offering of fresh blood to revitalize and fresh soul to reawaken. The crowd chanted still, fresh blood to revitalize, fresh soul to reawaken, given in the hope that your body shall grow, and Father Old placed the jar beside me. I tried to scream, but a hand pressed down on my lips and another on my forehead, keeping me down firmly. The cosmos favor those who are loyal to the old ways, said Father Old, and those who offer blood and so are rewarded, always. And so, O great old God, with these words we call on blood and soul from this, a willing sacrifice and a new child for thee. We call on blood and we call on soul that all may be collected and all may be given so that the great old God may rise once more and feed his children. Father Old raised the knife. I tried again to scream, but nothing budged. Father Old and the congregation began to sing in unison. They sung words in a language I couldn't understand, nor could I ever begin to understand even now. The words filled the space, echoed. The yellow glow of the egg grew brighter. The ground shook. I felt something rising inside me, something pressing up against my ribcage from deep within me, something like a fist trying to burst through my chest and out. The pain was immense, but I couldn't move, and I could only feel it, pressure and pushing and pain. I screamed into the hand that kept me down. The congregation sang. Father Ode raised the knife even higher and the song came to its height, these voices all echoing and crying and chanting my name and other names and words in tongues dead and old and impossible to translate. Father Oates looked down at me and grinned and screamed, blood and soul for our father, and plunged the knife into my chest. Blackness and cold and emptiness and slushing water and the rattling of metal and the deep and guttural snarl and an endless chant and all of it coming and coming and screaming in the inky black and then nothing at all. I woke with a start. I threw myself up. The sheets were drenched in sweat. My heart was pounding in my chest. It was morning. Light poured into the room. I'd forgotten to shut the curtains. It was warm. The bed was soft. My pants were wet. I'd pissed myself. Fuck, I said. It must have been a dream. I stood under the cold water of the shower for ten minutes, allowing its icy touch to cool every part of my body. 
I washed away the piss, scrubbed the sweat away. The pipes were silent. There was no wound on my chest, no scar, but it felt empty. I hesitated at the bedroom door, froze in place, as if a wall were in front of me. I nudged my foot towards the threshold and let it slip across, and when I was certain nothing would reach out from the hall and grab me, I stepped forward some more and stood in the empty hall. Then came the staircase and another moment of hesitation. I listened to the silence and listened for footsteps below, but there was nothing except my breathing to puncture the quiet. You are being an idiot, I told myself, since it was all a dream, until it wasn't. Downstairs, the little door was open, and the sigils in blood were still on the wall, dried and caked on darker than before, some of it cracking and failing away in a dark red dust, sucked into the cavern behind the door by whatever wind whispered it so. The house was empty, and there was a streak of something green and foul-smelling, the colour like blended spinach, and the smell like acid or bile leading from the little door out to the front door, which was swinging open on its hinges in the wind. Something had been dragged through the tunnels and out to the above. I walked outside. My car was still there, parked. I couldn't find my keys. I was in no state of mind to bother trying, so I started to walk. I walked down the street under the bright blue sky. There were no clouds in sight, a small sign I hadn't noticed before read Town Centre, one kilometre north. I followed the road as I had some days before, walked quietly, listening to the sound of birds that weren't there before, or perhaps were as frightened as I was to come into that town that was so old and empty. Then I came to town. It was a new town filled with new buildings and young people. As I made my way through the streets, it was hard not to notice how the trees gradually seemed to grow more and more lush and green with each corner I turned, as if somehow they were leaching colour from the rainbows in the skies above, and branches hung straight anew and strong as their roots and above were carefully tended to by fairies or creatures invisible to the human eye. And shop fronts were bright and welcoming, every window clean and sparkling, and every cornice painted bright colours. And there were flower pots sitting at some of the doors and displays in the windows. There were no potholes in the roads. All the weeds between the pavement were plucked, the sidewalks were clean and swept. Street lights stood upright, the bulbs giving off cool white light, and birds perched atop them, eyeing everyone below. Sparrows were nesting on the trees, and as I walked, dear reader, the thing that was most worrisome about this town was not that it seemed newer somehow, as if repaired overnight, 
or welcoming or homely. No. What was most worrisome about this little town was that the people themselves seemed as though they had just woken from a perfect night of sleep. Their skin glowing and radiant, their eyes without dark bags, their smiles pearly white, their auras full and whole, and their souls now perfectly intact as though they had never once known sadness or hunger or pain. And they looked at me as I walked. They all looked at me, smiled. Hello, Henry, said the woman. I couldn't reply. Henry, how good of you, boy, said another. I could not find words. Blessings of the morning, Henry. They came up to me, all of them smiling. They put their hands on me, pulled me. My tongue felt like stone. Hi, Mr. Henry. What a nice morning. We are very full. Mr. Henry, come play ball. We are very full now. Henry, you ought to eat too. Come with us, Henry. Come eat. I was terribly hungry. Yes, I felt it. Empty and hungry. The church, Henry. Come eat. Come live. Come feel full. Come feel near. I felt empty. Something was missing. I was hungry. Eat. Henry, come eat. We couldn't have done it without you, Henry. Henry, you saved us. Henry. We are so full, so happy, so alive. Come eat, come eat, come eat. They carried me to the church. Great tall trees, green, towered over the stately building, which seemed to sing as we approached. The heavy oak doors were thrown open, light pouring out from inside. They let me down gently. The pavement was warm and they made a semicircle around me, stepping back, whispering, let him breathe. And I laid there a moment, too afraid to get up, before two of them helped me to my feet and told me, go inside, they said, eat, become new. I don't, I tried. I'm so, you feel empty, as we all did, smiled a young woman her skin practically golden, but you will eat, and then you will feel like you've never felt, you will feel everything, whispered a young boy. Eternal, whispered a man, like age can never touch you, whispered a girl, like death can never swing its scythe at your head. I'm, I'm hungry, I said. Can you walk? asked the woman with a golden skin. I can walk, I said. Then go, she said. Go to him. There was green blood all over the church floors, and the walls and the pews. People were huddled together, paying no attention to me. The light that filled the space was white and gold and warm. I watched the men, women and children sitting in the pews, green blood covering their hands and their faces as they chewed through pieces of green-red flesh that squelched as their fingers tore into it, as their teeth ripped into stringy pieces that they chewed and swallowed. Few looked up at me, and those that did smile, 
plotted greens for a moment before returning to the nuts, their meals, in their laps. I noticed the cashier of the grocery store. His name elusive to me, sitting quietly with his lunchbox in his lap. The lunchbox now filled with stringy organs, and the cashier smiled as he ate his meal. I noticed the old man from the hardware store with his plate in his lap, and he was carving into a thick chunk of flesh with a knife and fork, gingerly placing the cube on his tongue, chewing slowly, savouring the bitter-sweet taste. I noticed the boy and the girl from the park, their fingers ripping into something that looked like a tube of intestines. I noticed the woman with the bag that spilled the seeds, who sat with ravens on her lap, who sat feasting on something that may have been a lever, sharing it with the birds. I walked down the aisle, following the streaks of green blood, the very same streaks that stained the floors in the house, the very same streaks that had come from the cavern, the turners behind the little door. At the end of the hall, I walked slowly, quietly, not turning back. I knew, though, I could sense it, that the crowd that had carried me here were watching, smiling. And when I came to the altar, my eyes couldn't at first glance conceive what it was that was seen. Until, that is, Father Old himself, covered in the green-red flesh and blood, smiled at me and said, Henry, Father Old, I cried, what is this? Please, said Father Old, gesturing to the thing on the altar, please, Henry, this is all you're doing, your gracious offering, your sacrifice, resurrected our ancient one our old god, and you deserve to taste the most pristine cut of his flesh. Father Old stepped aside. I stared at the creature that lay on the altar. I stared at it for a long time. Henry, eat, said Father Old. I approached the altar. The creature that lay upon the marble altar must have been some millennia old, it was vaguely anthropoid in shape, four limbs, two obviously arms, thick as a man's white, with these long fingers that became sharp prodigious claws without any clear indication of where skin ended and claw began. And there were two legs, thick as two men white, each ending with three sharp talons at curved feet. It was as tall as three men stacked atop one another. Its body was thick and rubbery and appeared covered in scales that glistened wet and were covered in its own sticky blood. It was draped over the altar, its legs hanging to the ground, brushing across the carpet. Its head was as large as a man's torso and looked like the snout of a dog, with large and yellow fangs poking out from under the gums. Two large, pointed ears protruded from the sides and stood upright. One large, terribly sharp and twisted horn seemed to puncture through its skull and pointed up towards the ceiling. 
yellow like bone. Its eyes were open, but empty, and inside them it looked like dark pits, with two very tiny golden glows like pinpricks for pupils. It had wings too, like those of a bat, the webbing as rubbery as the body, but the wings were torn. It looked almost like an angel gone wrong, or as if the devil had bred with a sea creature and produced something almost human, almost angel, almost beast. And it lay there on the altar, its stomach ripped open, its innards spilled, chunks of its legs missing, parts of its arms with bite marks in them, knife wounds and claw marks, and more ribs and tears and cuts to its body. And then I saw the tube. It was like a crude ivy, a long plastic tube fed down the creature's throat, leading to a glass jar hung upside down from a rack like something from a hospital, and inside something golden white glowing, slowly dripping down the tube like liquid gold and into the creature's mouth disappearing into wherever it was the substance was needed. I watched the golden white glow drip, drip, drip and run through the tube, and I saw then that the creature was still very much breathing and alive. What is it? I asked. It's crude, I know, said Father Old, but inside this jar, well, it's your soul, Henry. It feeds him. It drips through the tube, slowly, and it feeds him while he sleeps. It allows him the strength he needs to transcend his world and again enter his own, anew. I don't understand, I said, falling to my knees. He's eternal, said Father Old. He is the ageless. He is the old one. He is the giver of flesh and the giver of new life and the one who sleeps. He sleeps until we wake him and when we wake him all he demands from us is a new soul that then when we feast on him and his flesh gives us life he may die but not be dead. He may fall again into a long sleep kept alive in the other world by your gracious offering, your soul until we need him again. We give him souls because he collects them, because they feed him, and they keep him new and alive and powerful in the dimension in which he exists in his purest form. He allows us to eat his flesh in this world because in return he too can live forever in his world, a god among lesser gods, a powerful being, but if we don't eat, if we don't bring him back to feed us, we die. Slowly, we wither and we feel the most terrible debilitating hunger until a new soul can be collected and offered in return for the life that he provides with his flesh. It's painful, it is awful, but he has returned to give us life and we have given him a soul and now now we can live again. I feared we might die, but he sent us to you, and you came, and now we can live again.
Father Old inhaled, exhaled. Henry, we saved you the best part, the most pristine cut. Father Old reached into the mounds of flesh and dug through the nods of the nameless creature, the creature with a thousand names, and he pulled out my piece, my meal, my flesh, my still beating heart. He will die when you eat it, Father Old said. The soul is almost finished. He will fall into a very deep sleep. Then, when you eat his heart, he will pass on, stronger and new, thanks to your soul, to the other world, to his world, with more strength and power than before. He will send up blessings from there until we need him again. Things like good harvest, or rain, or money, or music, or he sends us blessings in thanks, and we worship him. Please, Henry, let our God, our Almighty, transcend this world and enter the next, and sit atop his throne, as is his power and right. Eat, Henry, eat, and you will feel anew. You will live forever. I was so hungry, I could do nothing but kneel and watch as the last droplets of my soul disappeared into the creature's mouth and fed its own. Father Old noticed the tears in my eyes and wiped them away with a dry handkerchief plucked from his pocket. It hurt my stomach, my chest. There was a hole in there, something empty and a voice in my head telling me to eat, 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 eat. And I couldn't ignore it. The congregation all stood. I turned my head to see them smiling, their skin radiant, their clothes and their hands and their mouths covered in their sticky blood, bits of flesh in their teeth. Is this what happiness looks like? Is this good health and good life? Is this eternal? They chanted, Do it, Henry. Eat, Henry. Feel anew, Henry. Feel his love, Henry. Feed the hunger, Henry. End the pain, Henry. And their voices were sing-song. Father Old knelt in front of me and said, Henry. And I looked up. In his outstretched hands was the still-beating heart. It went... Thundum, thundum, thundum. And the sound was music in my ears. I took the heart, felt it warm and wet and beating in my hands. Yes, Henry, take a bite, said Father Old. I raised it to my lips, let my lips touch it, let my tongue lick the blood. Oh, sweet, sweet tingles and warmth. My body stopped shuddering as I licked the heart some more. I took a bite. I felt everything. It's good? asked Father Old with a smile. I nodded. Yes, I said. I can feel everything. Father Old smiled. The world and I became new. And then there was only fool. And then there was us. And then there was blood and bone, and then there was the eternal, and then we slept, and then we woke to the sound of church bells, 
and everything was as it might have seemed on a postcard. And now I write. I write and I must write, because I feel myself slipping away, and the hunger grows. I write because I must warn. Metaphors and analogies and similes are useless now. Symbols are only that. Words are power. This is a warning. We sleep in close quarters. We walk the same streets in the same patterns and slowly we feel our minds slipping away as our skin grows pale and our teeth turn yellow and the rumbling in our bellies becomes the only thing we know. But they are coming soon. They are coming to save us as I saved us time later. They come a little before noon. A month or three months or ten years have passed, but they came. This man and this woman. They came to see the house. He showed them. He gave them a tour. They could not stop looking at him, at his pale skin. They didn't ask. They smiled a lot, though. They asked him questions about the house, and they smiled as he showed them the living room, the kitchen, the bathroom, the bedroom. They told him they loved it, the house. They asked him, how soon can we move in? He told them, right away. They're sitting at the table, Henry and this couple. His hands, and then her hands, scroll across the paper, the ink signing their names. And when it's done... They look up and now they thank him with Green's widest Cheshire cat. Now comes the rumbling, a sound like a deep, guttural snarl, something like a ritualistic chant. Mr. and Mrs. Baker, their faces begin to wilt. And what can he possibly tell them? They will figure it out themselves. They will taste him soon enough. And Henry is hungry. He is very hungry. It has been a month or a year or ten years or fifty, he cannot say. He is so, so terribly hungry. So, with a smile, Henry tells them, that's just the pipes. The end. Alright, alright, now is the time for us to see the words I've marked when we were reading. Let's start with the first one. And this word is noxious. Noxious. Remember the phrase back in the book? It was just a bit of color in the noxious yellow light that filled the space. If something is noxious, it's poisonous or harmful. Harmful is something that can cause injury or damage. I will give you one other example. They died from inhaling noxious fumes. Fumes or fume is a strong and dangerous gas or smoke. Let's see the next one. Jagged. So, remember the sentence back in the book? It was, jagged stones hung above us. If something is jagged, it is rough and with sharp points. So, I will give you another example. A jagged edge. So, that would be an edge with sharp, um, with sharp features or with sharp forms. Okay? Let's go see the next one. Nourished. Nourished. The sentence back in the book was, he was nourished. To nourish means to provide someone with food in order to allow growth in a healthy way. And I will give you another example. She looks happy and well nourished. Let's go see the next one. Fathom. Fathom. 
the sentence back in the book was can put into words or even begin to fathom. To fathom is to understand someone or why someone is acting the way they are. I'll give you another example. I can't fathom her at all. Let's go see the next one. The next sentence we marked when we were reading is the next word actually, delve. The sentence was, as you delve deeper into the unknown. To delve means to search, as if by digging in order to find something or information. I will give you one other example. She delved into her pocket to find some change. Let's go see the next one, ushered. The sentence back the book was ushered along by Father Old. To usher means to show someone where they should go. I'll give you another example. She ushered us into her office and offered us coffee. Let's see the next one. Miuju. Miuju. The sentence back in the book was the smell of moss and miuju. Miuju is an area caused by fungus, normally if the conditions are warm and wet. I'll give you another example. There are patches of miuju on the walls. Let's go see the next one, whining. The sentence back in the book was, stop with your whining. If someone is whining, they are complaining about something and expressing disappointment. I'll give you another example. Stop whining about the weather. Let's go see the next one, famished. The sentence back in the book was, they're famished. If someone is famished, they are extremely hungry. That's another way to say that. I'll give you another example. Have some dinner with us. You must be famished. Let's go see the next one. Beseech. Beseech. We beseech you was the sentence back in the book. And to beseech means to ask for something in a way that looks like you need that thing very much. I'll give you another example. Stay a little longer. I beseech you. Let's see the next one, plunged. The sentence back the book was, and plunged the knife into my chest. To plunge means to move or cause something to fall down or into something. I'll give you another example. We ran down to the beach and plunged into the sea. The next word is lush. The sentence back in the book was, the trees gradually seem to grow more and more lush. A lush area is an area that, is, that has a lot of green and healthy plants and trees. I'll give you another example, lush green valleys. The next word is squelched. The sentence back in the book was, flesh that squelched as their fingers tore into it. To squelch means to make a soft sound like the one produced when you walk on wet grass. Have you noticed that sound? That's it. That's the one. I'll give you another example. He got out of the car and squelched through the mud to open the gate. The next one is pristine. Pristine. The sentence back in the book was the most pristine cut of his flesh. If something is pristine, it's new or in very good condition. I will give you another example. The house is in pristine condition. And 
the last word is inards. The sentence back in the book was it's inards spilled. Inards are the organs inside a person or an animal. I will give you another example of this one. The doctors could then see his inards. All right, that's it for us. That's the way of using reading activities to improve your speaking abilities because we because when you are improving your vocabulary, now you have better speaking skills because you can talk with a more wide and broad range of vocabulary. So that's the way. First you read, just mark the words, don't stop to read them or to look up for the meaning uh, when you're reading. Just read, mark the words and then after it go back and check the words meanings. If you liked this content then follow Blimey English on Instagram and Facebook and consider subscribing to my YouTube channel as well. If you like to listen instead of watching, you can listen to the Blimey Cast, which is a podcast I made for those who don't like or cannot watch the videos. This is time for me to go now and I see you in the next videos. Cheers! You've listened to Blimey Cast. Thanks for listening. For more content, check my Instagram profile, Blimey.